The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So tonight I'd like to talk about um, one of the more beautiful and wholesome of the qualities the Buddha emphasized. And so this quality of generosity the Buddha used right at the beginning, and I know, uh, if you're like me at all, we have a built-in cultural defense when anybody says anything about generosity because we think, you know, what's just around the corner? An ask or something like that. And uh, it's interesting, more than monsters, what we're really afraid of is being cornered, aren't we? You know, and the worst would be being cornered by somebody that has real needs, where we don't have like an easy defense, like get your act together. You know, you're not my responsibility, or something like that. And of course, we're. It's not going to work because we're in a world where there is tremendous need, tremendous suffering. And so what's our approach? To hide away in a little corner where we don't get the ask? (laughs) Or to learn how to kind of dance and participate in a world where there's uh, there are needs? So I want to talk about generosity as a central part of our practice and a quality that we're uncovering like love. In fact, I think metta, loving kindness, is a good synonym for generosity, the generous heart. Like we have, it isn't uh, like our habit, as I was saying, cultural habit is it's this terrible should. I should be more generous. And it scares us because where does that end? When is enough enough? Right? I see that even with my cat and my uh, some of you know Win Fricky, my spouse is in India these last couple of weeks and um, so I'm there with the cat and it's sort of Win's cat. I mean I help her out a lot but it's, it's really her her friend, she invited into the house. And uh, <laughs> and the cat has, you know, it's, I don't know if it, their needs, but uh, it loves to be loved. And, uh, and I just see so much of that conditioning I have, like, okay, is this enough? Or do I have to give you more juice, more love? And and it's like this deep habit of a business relationship. What can I get away with? You know, like, I'll give a little love, but does that then buy me some time where you're not bothering me? What's the deal here? Right? It's almost like we need a lawyer to negotiate. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, and sometimes just, <laughs> he's a very good-natured cat, and uh, kind of cuts through the, you know, the cultural conditioning. And I, 
realize this simple but powerful truth that it actually feels good for me. I don't know about him, but it feels good for me not to hold back or not to be strategic or somehow feel like I'm going to run out, like run out of whatever, my time or run out of my love. You know, you're going to wring me dry. And then I, you know, almost like, and of course, we know rationally, I'm nowhere close to being killed by this cat, by, you know, its demands on me. But there's some weird sort of thing that operates in our mind that, yeah, but if I really show up unconditionally in this moment for this cat, then how do I draw the line with all those other places in my life that are asking. I mean, and it's basically, can you imagine living as if everywhere we look, just another leech wanting to suck our blood? Now, who would want to live in a world? But that's sort of part of our conditioning where we move through the world. I see this in my relationship with my partner. You know, the sort of strategic, I don't want to be too adoring. I don't want to be too loving. One, they might get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's embarrassing to say, it, but I really see that condition. I, I'm presuming it's not just me, but, you know, that, uh, the, uh, that part, that really superficial part of the mind that wants the exchange. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What am I getting from this? And really failing to notice the simple, I mean, just the obvious question, well, what does it feel like to for a few minutes? And, you know, this is the thing. When we say with the cat or with another human being, doesn't really matter, I'm just going to show up 100%. There's nothing in that that, and this will be forever. You know, no sleeping, no. So we kind of scare ourselves by not knowing how this is going to end. We use that as a rationalization to keep holding back. Like, I've got to hold something in reserve. There may be another cat I run into <laughs> that wants to be petted. So I've got to save a few pets. So I like I was uh, rereading some notes and including a section from one of John Kabat-Zinn's books. And he's just talking about like a good place to practice because it takes us out of that realm of um, like, oh, I'm giving something away and I'll be left with nothing. It's just to practice being generous to yourself. Like what would it be like when you're brushing your teeth, to do that in a really generous way. Or when you're using the toilet. I was thinking of this just a few minutes before the program, and I was just urinating. And it's like that quality of mind we call generosity, that generous heart, really giving ourselves to the moment, to what the moment is about and what the moment's asking you know, it's really a nice way to live. And the question is, it, 
is it pragmatic? Is it functional? Can we actually live our life with that attitude of generosity? Who do we become? Will, be, will we be happy being that person we become? If we just, little by little, and again, not because we should do it, but because we've decided to follow this thread of joy or of happiness. And I, was, I meant to mention earlier, but so generosity shows up in a lot of the, uh, in a lot of the teachings from the Buddha, including the three um, sort of roots of meritorious action, the three intentions that we can have, the intention to be giving, to be generous, the intention to not harm, to not cause harm, the intention to develop the heart, to stabilize the heart so it's more clear, more, can be more intimate. So dana, sila, bhavana. Bhavana means that development or cultivation of the heart making the heart a beautiful instrument that can see and feel things just as they are. Sila, I think Shelley is going to talk about tomorrow night, is this uh, beautiful, deep valuing of non-harming and generosity. And you know, as I think a lot of you know, it can be very useful in trying to understand what the Buddha was pointing, pointing to for these different teachings, to think about it as a negative. So generosity as the absence of stinginess in the mind, in the heart. So, you know, that's what I mean, like uh, when we're in the bathroom or when we're at home cooking for ourselves or putting our clothes on, these just ordinary, simple activities. What would it feel and look like to not be stingy not be holding back at all. What would that look like? And in the in the tradition, the approximate cause for generosity is the perception of abundance. The perception, the recognition, the sense that there's a lot here and now. There's goodness there's something beautiful here and now that can be given. So that's actually the practice. And like one of the things that can always be given is that um, integrity of listening, for lack of a better way of saying it, like that willingness to show up, the willingness to listen or the willingness to be intimate, to kind of have both the subtlety and depth of presence, but also that real breadth. So we're really, really showing up, not just kind of getting into the minutiae so we're not seeing the bigger picture, but we're seeing the bigger picture and we're sensing into what is more subtle. And to see that as a kind of not holding back or the absence of stinginess. So that way, superficiality is a kind of stinginess. It's almost like my full, tender presence is a scarce commodity. And I'm not going to give it to this moment because I give so many Dharma talks, you know, 
I do this on autopilot. And I save my wholehearted presence for important moments. And then we become that miserly person, you know, that has saved up all this capacity to be present, but never use it. (laughs) You know, it's like money in the bank that doesn't get used. And you know how that is. What's that song? Love is something when you give it away, you end up having more. Maybe you remember that. And it's the same thing. It's like we recognize the abundance that's here, this possibility of being good, sharing good, this possibility of the way that we're showing up, the way that my mind, my heart's relating, is a thing of beauty, is something worthy of giving to the moment, giving to who's ever in the moment. Try it with your partners when you go home tonight, those of you who are living with another person or your friend or whoever you might be living with, cat, dog, whatever, turtle. (laughs) But try, or if you're all alone and you don't have a turtle, for yourself, showing up for yourself. Like really show up. And, And don't be shy. Like put your hand on your heart and say something like, I know this is weird, but I'm really here for you. I'm really here for you. And I'm going to practice. It's new for me, but I'm going to really practice showing up. And I'll probably forget, but hopefully I'll remember again. And I'm going to really see if the Buddha was right. Because when he said that, dana sila bhavana, the development of, of generosity, the capacity to not be stingy, the capacity to care about non-harming and the capacity to develop the heart, the stability and clarity, sensitivity of the heart, that these were the causes for happiness, not like far out there spiritual happiness, but just ordinary happiness. It makes us feel good. Like some of my teachers have said, do you know anybody who's really generous, who's not happy. I mean, generous in this kind of deeper, more organic way. Generous people are happy. Because generous people, by definition, operate in the world from a place of abundance. And it doesn't mean they're the wealthy people or the people that have a lot of time. It just means that they see in terms of abundance. And this time, I don't know, maybe it's not really true, but it seems like this time, culturally, together, we're a little bit fixated in seeing more and more the negative, more and more the deficit, more and more the meanness and the stinginess of the world around us, maybe in ourselves too. And it might be important to... um, Realize that's not the whole truth. Just to start noticing what's beautiful in this capacity for generosity. It really happens all the time. I think it was Mamie was telling me that uh, day, was it yesterday when it was really slick? Was it just yesterday? (laughs) It seems so far ago. (laughs) But about driving... Uh, from quite a distance out of town where she and Lauren are staying. And uh, 
and just seeing everybody helping each other, right? Just how the weather kind of people like are waiting. It's almost like it gives us an excuse to be generous, to help people push their cars out or shovel or whatever. Because otherwise, we do have that like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't know, like that, or I don't want to be duped where I end up giving more than I'm getting. Ajahn Chah, this very well-known Thai meditation teacher and Buddhist monk, um, was asked by some of the Thai people, you know, because uh, more and more Westerners started to come and see him and study with him, and some ordained. This is like late 60s and 70s and into the 80s. And, um, and some of the lay people, the Thai lay people, would ask him, why do you just teach these Westerners about meditation and not so much about dana and sila, about generosity and ethical conduct, this deep connection and appreciation of non-harming. And he, his response was something like, well, if they stick with it, they're soon going to find out that there's no progress without being interested in generosity and non-harming but I'd rather them figure that out for themselves or something like that, right? That we have to, just in the course of our stumbling around as a spiritual seeker, we have to get this message that we, you know, we heard since day one or certainly since kindergarten that it's really a beautiful thing to share and to like to have that, to cultivate that radar, that, it's actually the point of life, not this stingy, uh, self-centered survival. I mean, that's a very oppressive frame to be living our life with. And by the way, how do we win with that game? Like to kind of be strategic and miserly and it's not like we can take it with us or like we get something or somebody gets something for having like strategically gotten more than I gave like how does somebody win with that sort of mentality and you know one of the nice things about the information age is we see how people who have a lot aren't happy, any happier than people who don't. You know, we read about the so-called celebrities or whatever, the wealthy people, and they seem pretty miserable, you know, or certainly not so different than the rest of us. So, and again, the, the nice thing about these suggestions from the Buddha, like to cultivate generosity and that sense of abundance. There's always a way to be in this moment without relying on stinginess. Like I can function in whatever particular situation, I can function without being stingy. And it doesn't mean that I neglect myself 
over and over again because that would be being stingy toward myself. Why wouldn't I hear the cries of my own heart? If I'm really operating this non-stingy, generous, sensitive place, I would notice, oh honey, you need some sleep, you need some soup, you need some safety. How can I take care of you? And that, remember, that was my suggestion, like when you go home tonight, to really just practice like in the way that you put yourself to bed and the way you tuck yourself in, just to let all of that be felt as an act of generosity or acts of generosity. And just see, checking out directly, is dana generosity, a direct and immediate cause for happiness in our heart. Because it, I mean, it's so interesting how, how and where we look for happiness, all the sort of funny things we do to feel good, and how ineffective a lot of those things are. You know, where we're eating and I talked about this earlier, you know, we're eating, listening to the radio and reading something on a screen. Like one more thing to make us feel good, but it just leaves us hungry, addicted, needing more stimuli. So if this actually works, cultivating the attitude of generosity it actually delivers the good. So I'm not talking in an extraordinary way, just an ordinary sense of feeling full and whole and like I belong in this life. You know, that's just basic psychological health. Then human beings would naturally gravitate toward it. So is it that we just haven't checked it out? Right there's so there's some defenses we're going to have to unpack that keep us from recognizing the rightness or the wholesomeness of this attitude of generosity, and that's that would be really interesting. And maybe some of you will have some things to share in the small groups tomorrow, just from exploring. Because also, like in the sits tonight and the walking practice we'll do after the talk, you know the same thing. What is it, like, how might I show up in a generous way? This was this article printed in, uh, there's a, I think, a daily email from Tricycle, and I get it. And this is an article that a Zen teacher, Nancy Baker, wrote nine years ago in Tricycle. And it's nice. It's on uh, on not being stingy. And in the Zen tradition, they have more precepts. It's just They're just a little um, broken down differently. And the eighth precept is taking the, undertaking the training to refrain from being stingy. So they have the second one that probably Shelley will talk about tomorrow night. I undertake the training to refrain from stealing or taking things that haven't been given. But they, they bring it in the, the ones, you know, a little further down on that list of ten, it's more about the mind state than the action, right? So not inhabiting, not 
identifying and living out of the attitude of stinginess. She says or writes, think how we manipulate and bargain and negotiate to turn a profit from every interaction. Much of this subtle, much of this is subtle, unconscious habit. Even when we give or serve or love or pay attention, we are trying to get something. Sometimes it's just to get back some of what we give. So what are we stingy with in all these cases? One of the things we're stingy with is 100%. We're stingy with the possibility of doing something 100%. And this is what I was pointing to about like, like even in giving a talk, like I'm holding back a little. I'm not really going for it. And now, not so much now, but like even in preparing and reflecting, like that attitude, well, what can I get away with? How much is going to be enough in terms of preparing? Right? It's like just a very interesting way to live. Or with my partner, you know, oh, my shoulder hurts. Would you mind you know, massaging my shoulder. And it's like, well, how much is enough? And I have, I see in myself, like I mentioned earlier, this real, it's real, like in my conditioning of a bottomless pit. Like if there will be no end if I start to give. So what? Like maybe there isn't. But because but if, if it's healing and joyful, to be generous to ourselves and to others. And it's really like a, you know, two frames. One, being the frightened, hungry beast who's here all alone, who's nobody's got my back. Then I have this orientation, this sort of inner gravitational pull, which is, if you put words, it would be something like, it's all about me. It's all about my survival. I'm on my own here. So that's one possible way to frame how we're living. And the other is it's like uh, I've got some life energy. I'm sensitive. I can sense my own needs. I can sense others' needs. I've got this time dancing on this planet. And I'm going to, as best I can, find the joy, touch the joy in contributing, taking care of myself and all beings. In any way that's available to me. And just living, feeding on that quality of generosity. And I think this is what she's pointing to. We're stingy with the possibility of doing something 100%. Imagine loving 100%. Imagine acknowledging someone 100% with no thought of getting something in return, which would take part of it away and make it 70% or even 20%. We're also stingy with the truth, the truth of what's really going on in us. Boy, I see this in me a lot. Like, you know, just I think part of it is just male conditioning a little bit, you know, where keep your cards close kind of thing. It's like how much... Oh, this person, you know, they, they're really connected 
how much do I have to reveal? How deep do I need to dig? How truthful do I need to be? Right? Will they be satisfied with this answer? No, not quite. Okay, I've got to give them a little bit more. As opposed to, like, I mean, not in a needy way putting it out, but just like uh, not holding back, being in the conversation 100%. We hold on to the truth, hold it back, withhold it. We play our cards close to the chest, covering the heart. I don't know if you know this, but in, uh, in the tradition, it might even go back to the time of the Buddha when they talked about metta, loving kindness, the sort of beautiful divine abodes of loving kindness and compassion and appreciative joy. They talk about that radiant and uh, expansive, beautiful qualities, emotions, as having the kind of resonance and clarity as the sound of a conch. I don't know if you've ever blown into one of those seashells, but if you know what you're doing, if you kind of get it just right, there's a real kind of powerful resonance that they can make. And they used to use them, you know, to sound so that the next village or whatever, you know, would know something was up um, before we had walkie-talkies and trumpets and <laughs> whatever else people have had over the centuries, right? And so that's like a nice thing about this power and uh, resonance of any of the wholesome qualities of mind. And we get that sense sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when we run into somebody who's naturally a generous person, you know, they have a kind of um, nimbleness. You know, there's a certain authority when they show up in a space, somebody who's good at generosity. You know, they, they know there's something so basic and functional about that attitude. And it's not like they know what to do, but they're not here to serve their uh, kind of notion of like, this is a dog-eat-dog world, and we're in competition, and uh, I've got my eye on all of you to make sure that you're not getting more than you're given. You know, like I don't mind coming together as a community but everybody's got to be giving, you know, or you're out, you're on your own. See, that's not generosity, that's like a business deal or something like that. And, uh, yeah, so just, uh, I think the, the important thing is that we find a way to begin to explore that feels safe for us. Because if, if it doesn't feel safe, likely we've turned it into a should. Oh, I should be more generous. I'm bad when I'm not generous. This person's more generous than me. They're going to get to heaven before me. I don't want that to happen. I'm going to up my game, you know. So it just it can get really, or we just use it to beat ourselves up. And that's why I like going home and just exploring how I get myself ready to bed in a really 
generous way, not holding back one bit. How many times would my knee have benefited from the hot water bottle? But it's down in the cold basement. You think I'm going to go down into that cold basement and then come back up and put the hot water on and then fill the hot water bottle up and then crawl back into bed? You don't deserve it. I mean, that. I don't say it that way, but that's, that's the thing. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that for myself. So just to sort of play with, no, honey, tonight I'm going to do it and I'm going to notice what kind of reality that sets in motion. Oh, it was like this to have taken care of myself in that way. Or even like I'm going to put this away so I don't have to worry about it in the morning. I'm going to wash the dishes. So when I come up, get up in the morning, I don't have, that's not going to be the first thing I see. So little things like this, but from, not from the spirit of should, but like a real act of love, a real giving to, to this life. And then pets, a good place to explore. Like, hey, I've got about 10 minutes and I'm not going to hold back. We've got 10 minutes together and this is about you. Not how I want to play with you, but how you want me to play with you. right? And I'm really going to be listening. And when you're done, that's fine. And it's just like a different way because it's sort of like Even with our pets, it's like, I've got emotional needs. You have emotional needs, but I'm the master in this relationship, right? (laughs) I feed you. It's like business thing. I feed you, so, you know, it's your job. You feel good. And then uh, in our practice, too, like coming into the body in a generous way. Oh, honey, it's been a while. (laughs) How are you doing? (laughs) I'm really happy to show up. I'm really happy to meet you. Anything you need? You know, like if that were the sort of attitude we had when we, having been lost in thought, came back to the body, used the experience of the body to come back into the moment. Oh, yeah, there is this tender, sensitive heart here. It feels like this. Can I give the gift of being interested and being close, being non-judgmental, really show up 100% as best I can and start over, be willing to start over when the force of habit kicks in and I get distracted? And that not giving up, not giving up on ourselves, not giving up on our goodness. This is from the Buddha. And what is the accomplishment of generosity? There is a wise disciple who dwells at home with a mind free from stinginess, Freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment. One devoted to charity, delighting in giving and sharing. 
So that's really the thread we're following is that uh, is the quality of joy. We're really, I mean, I really have liked this about Venerable Analio, this German teacher that's um, really making a splash these days in the early Buddhist scene here in the West. And uh, he just really emphasizes that the whole path is following a thread of joy. So when it gets really heavy, we really want to stop and ask, okay, what do my teachers say? What have they said about how joy shows up? Right? And we have these three direct and immediate causes for happiness, cultivating a generous heart, cultivating this beautiful value of non-harming, and cultivating a stable, collected, clear heart and mind, samadhi. So sometimes we can do all three at once, but these cultivations are always available. We can be cultivating samadhi, that stability of mind. We can be cultivating a deep and resonant respect for non-harming, living, acting, speaking, and even thinking in ways that doesn't diminish other living beings. And, you know, and even in a deeper way, this generosity is really just, it's like in our life right now, this life, this body, how it's clothed, how it thinks. What of this in my life hasn't been given. Because we, we have this sense of like, no, 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 I've earned this the hard way. This is mine. Yeah, this is a nice pile jacket, but I earned it. You know, actually it was given to me. But, <laughs> but I gave my wife stuff, and so she gave me this. <laughs> but to realize like, and this is... Uh, you know, always this uh, comes up in politics about, you know, people with a lot of money, you know, giving back. No, no, no. I should be able to keep it. I earned this. But if the fact that people could earn money, that they had the privilege, they had the supportive conditions to gain wealth, right, that was, that was given. That education that being in the right place at the right time, even your genetics, right? All of that was a gift from nature, gift of causes and conditions. Everything comes to us freely and everything, and we don't get to take anything with us, right? So this living with this idea of generosity is just coming into alignment with life. I was uh, talking with someone from Tri- um, I forget now if it was Tricycle or Buddha Dharma, but uh, one of their writers is doing an article on generosity just just a week or so ago, and uh, wanted to interview me. And, and I was saying to this person, you know, uh, and and she was really interested in common ground and how we operate here without charging, 
And I was saying, well, you know, just as a general spiritual teaching, like I've been talking about tonight, generosity is this willing step into what is wild because it's not defined. And that's what I meant like, oh, I better hold something back in reserve. And I'm not saying that we should spend all our money or spend give all our time away. I'm not saying that at all. But there's something about not presuming we have to operate with fear. Like, see, that's that hungry ghost or that hungry beast, frightened beast mode. That option is always there for us. No one's ever going to be able to or will stop us if we want to live inside of that frame of being the frightened, separate, no one's got my back. And I have that conditioned habit in my mind big time, you know, just through my own upbringing, being the middle child, distracted parents, and they were good, you know, reasonably good parents, but they were distracted, you know. And uh, and just that, you know, that sense. So just over the years, training, learning how that attitude doesn't work, doesn't make me happy, doesn't help my relationships. It just leads to being tight and alone and sterile, basically, just kind of high and dry. And little and little ways, you know, finding a deepening trust of generosity. And it is wild, right? It's like you don't have a we don't have a plan. And uh, I mentioned over the years, you know, um, how I just as examples, how I relate to the people who are there at intersection, intersections or at the Seward Co-op. You know, there's often people at the edges of the parking lot asking for contributions or support. And it's the same sort of thing, like I need a plan because this is uncomfortable. You know, when someone's right there... I'm looking at them, right? I don't know. I think it's just me. It's uncomfortable. What do I do? And so I had a plan. Okay, I'll have some nice cliff bars. I don't know if you know that, this sort of protein bar, granola bar. I mean, it's really candy, but (laughs) candy with vitamins in it (laughs) and organic oats. And uh, and it's probably soy protein. (laughs) But they taste good enough. And uh, so I have something to give. But, but I realized, like, yeah, even though it kind of took care of my discomfort and it opened the door to at least the very, very, very beginning of a relationship, however superficial and brief it is, but at least I wasn't, like, frozen in social fear in that moment, at least... There was some exchange. But I, I realized, too, it was kind of a control technique and a refusal, like a unwillingness to learn how to be in that wild moment where there's this human being and that human being and this dynamic. And like 
to figure out what does non-stinginess look like here? And just experiment. I don't know. And I, th- I think generally we should be suspicious if we have an answer. You know, someone says, no, I know what to do, because that used to be me. <laughs> I used to say, I know what to do. Get yourself some cliff bars and give them a cliff bar. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing with, like, you know, growing up with a particular, okay, we give 10% of our income. So we don't actually have to be in that wild and undefined space. Like, I don't know how much is enough. I don't know what to do. And then, like, uh, I don't think I should be suffering. It's like we're, you know, struggling over doing the right thing, trying to be good, and just tying ourselves up into knots. And like, why would what started as an intention to kind of support others be a loving, good human being. Why is it a cause for so much tightness? Is there another way to do this? And so, like so many things in the spiritual life, you know, it's really useful to start where it's simple. And on retreat, like simple interactions on retreat. Sometimes when we're on retreat, we'll just start feeling for moments, won't last forever, just a lot of gratitude and appreciation. And then there'll be this, it can be this thing like, well, what should I do with all this goodness? I got to go talk to somebody and tell them or something. And uh, so this non-stinginess itself is the gift, right? Just abiding in the non-stinginess. And if we're in that place, then if there is something to do, help somebody with the door. It can be a very natural, organic thing, not a contrived thing. Sometimes on retreat, there's a, there can be a lot of awkwardness, and it actually ends up being a little bit off when people don't know what to do with the good feelings that they have, and they're kind of working overtime to be good in a way that makes everybody else feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm not sure I want to be on this retreat. People don't know how to be humans anymore. Oh my God, they're being Buddhists. I can't stand it. <laughs> it you know, one of the ways it manifests is like two people are walking to a door. And, and like how to be generous in that moment, sometimes like we don't know how to be generous in that moment unless we're really there in an intimate and relaxed way. Because the more generous thing in one moment might be for you to go through just to avoid that awkward dance of like who's going to go through first. And sometimes the beautiful, organic, generous thing to do is to pause and let the other person go through. But the thing is, it can't be pre-planned. The only thing we can do is be in that place of not being afraid, of not being stingy, and see what happens when the heart's in that place. Same thing like you might already have ideas of how you're going to be non-stingy when you go home tonight. Drop the ideas <laughs> and get interested in knowing, recognizing the difference between stinginess and non-stinginess like as, it, as an actual framing, quality, filtering of the mind, the way the mind is seeing or perceiving. 
oh, I'm, I'm perceiving in a greedy way, a stingy way, or oh, I'm perceiving in a, as if I'm coming from this place of abundance, an abundance of goodness. And then just see how you put yourself to bed, how you take care of yourself. There's a little uh, passage that one of the famous uh, women at the time of the Buddha, Visaka, Visaka was her name, and she was a lay woman. And she once asked the Buddha if she could provide some um, monastic supplies for the nuns and for the monks, like when they were sick, you know, to kind of provide some extra support so they wouldn't have to go out on alms round to collect their meal and bathing, something to put over them when they're bathing in the rivers to sort of protect their modesty and things like that, just really practical gifts. And uh, the Buddha, intuiting that she could uh, give a really beautiful teaching, asked her to explain herself why she wanted to give these things, right? And so she said this really beautiful thing. She says, well, when I remember my acts of generosity, I'll be glad. And when I'm glad, I'll be happy. So glad is just for piti, that rapture, the little lightness of the heart. And when there's lightness of the heart, then there's a more resonant contentment, happiness of the heart. And when my mind is happy, my body will be tranquil and I shall feel pleasure. When I feel pleasure, my mind will become steady and still. That will bring the development of the spiritual faculties, the spiritual powers, and the factors of awakening, i.e., everything that needs to be done will be done. And this is, you know, this is kind of the bottom line for us. We actually, I mean, it may, it's so great how it all lines up. We have to get interested in our own happiness and safety because that is what will support the awakening process and that will allow us to contribute more, to be people who can model more and more fearlessness, more and more kindness, more and more skillful engagement in the world. So the spiritual path isn't about neglecting our happiness, that sort of sacrificial idea. You know, I decided to go on this sterile path, neglecting my own well-being in order to save all the miserable people out there because someone's got to do it. As opposed to really seeing that taking care of ourselves, understanding how to find a more resonant happiness is exactly what allows things to settle. And when the mind settles, the mind sees clearly. And when the mind sees clearly, self-centeredness is abandoned. Freedom arises. Because the only thing that has to be abandoned right, is misunderstanding or not seeing clearly. That's the only thing we're letting go of. 
a lot of people wrongly think of Buddhism as kind of being anti-life or anti-sense experience. No, it's just about understanding things as they are. And if we flip that gravitational pull from it's all about me to kind of that non-stinginess, that open-handed, generous connection with whatever's here, including ourselves, that's a basic happiness that we can tap into. I mean, just simple things like putting bird seed in the bird feeder. I have learned over the years when I do the when I feed the cat to really put the food down and to notice the cat being happy that it has food because then I feel some happiness seeing that the cat's happy. It feels good. And when I cook something for my wife, I ask her if she likes it when I think she likes it because when I hear that she likes it, it feels good to have cooked it for her. So to really practice like um, some of you who do dinner prep, take the time to just put your fork down and notice everybody enjoying the meal. It's a real simple, powerful cause for happiness. Or if you're sweeping or doing, notice like, oh, it's so nice that people see this orderly space here. Like really see the acts, the reverberations of your generosity. Really let it in, like the Buddha says, feeling the happiness when you're thinking about giving, feeling the happiness when you are giving, and feeling the happiness when you're thinking about past acts of giving. Because they're all causes, you know, they support us, support our well-being, which supports the settling, which supports the insight. So let's leave it here. Just take a few seconds. Let go of the words. For listening, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.